You know how you win the battle? Listen now. You and I have the opportunity to walk in victory, to claim the victory, to experience the victory that is already ours. Because I know I have something to offer. Go where you have never gone before. Keep moving through the pain. Keep moving forward. Do what you've never done before so you can be the woman you know yourself to be. I live my life playing to win. I'm after something. So much in you. We have the victory. Hey, Purpose Chasers. Welcome to another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slay podcast. And this week, I have with me in the guest chair, Miss Tiffany Huffstrothers. Tiffany is a wife, mother, and woman of faith. She is called to minister and mentor women and passionate about helping women reinvent themselves following their worst setbacks. She helps them find their voices and build businesses with their stories. She is known as your bounce back guide. Tiffany lives out her calling as an evangelist, award-winning author, sought-after speaker, coach, and host of the Bounce Back Blueprint podcast. Tiffany recognized her gift to uplift at a very early age. As her family became the billboard example for the epidemics plaguing the black community, drug abuse, single parenthood, gangs, poverty, and divorce. Nonetheless, Tiffany became the first in her family to graduate college and received numerous scholarships. In the midst of her graduate studies, she found herself in a relationship she had no idea how to end and suddenly went from hardworking mother and student to heartbroken and homeless after being shot by her first love. Refusing to accept her worst setbacks and defeat, she began a journey of reinvention and has become the go-to for other women looking to do the same. She is the founder and director of When She Thrives, a nonprofit with the mission to equip single mothers to move their families from poverty to prosperity. Let's welcome Tiffany to the show. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful to be here and looking forward to sharing and being blessed as well as blessing your listeners. Yes, yes. Now, Tiffany, one of my favorite things to ask first is I want you to tell us a fun fact about you that is not in your bio. So a fun fact about me is when I was five years old, I was in a movie. It was filmed here in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it was called Rappin' Hood, and it starred Mario Van Peebles. So I literally had very short stint in the film. There's one scene where there's some singing and there's some kids from the neighborhood and we're like clapping and singing along with the lead character. So I made my first uh, byline, if you will, or my name was Up in Lights way back when I was five years old as an extra in that movie. I love that. So you had time in a film at such a young age. What? I mean, that must have been amazing because you we think back to the things we do as children. And sometimes it's just like, I can't believe I did that at such a young age. So that is your claim to fame. Yes. It is. <laughs> and it's so funny. I remember just having all of this money, right? And my parents saying like, you can do something. And I wanted this strawberry shortcake bike. So I was able to go and buy myself this bike. So yeah, it's a, 
It's a best kept secret. Don't listen. Do not go look this up on YouTube. Just take my word for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, listen, there are, the, I, I have a similar experience. Not that I was in a movie when I was five, but when I was about, mm, I want to say between the ages of 10 and 12, we had an essay competition in my school and they picked my essay to post in a book that was published around the world. And it was great because then, you know, young author, contributing author. But when I go back to read that poem, I don't know what was going on in my (laughs) little world. (laughs) But I just laugh. And I I, it's just so funny to me. And my niece, one day she picked up the book, didn't remember she had it. And she's reading what my younger self was saying at her age. And I was like, oh, where did you find this? Please put it away. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's always nice to have those things like that to go back and reflect on though, right? Yes, it is. Now, Tiffany, that was a, a, a excellent fact, a fun fact about you, but I want to get into your story. You have such an amazing story and I don't even want to sort of try and summarize it. I just want you to go ahead and tell us your journey. Okay, so I will try to make it the abbreviated version, but also give you what you need to grasp the impact of it. So I grew up the youngest in my family of three children. Parents were married. We were like the quote unquote American dream until we weren't. And very early on, um, things started to shift for me. So my brother and sister are five and nine years older than me, respectively. So they had a little bit more of the quote unquote good life than I did. When I was in elementary school, my father developed a drug addiction. My mom's mental health challenges came to a head. My sister became a teenage mom and my brother was on his way into the gang life. So our family basically was impacted by every one of the epidemics, if you will, that were challenging the American dream in our community in the 80s and 90s. And then there was me. All I wanted to do was read books and learn more things. I was the geekiest of all geeks. And I would be punished by not being, by being forced to go outside and play. Like put a book down, go outside. That was like how I was punished. And so very early on, I learned that my accomplishments and what I achieved is what would get me attention. So I became addicted to achievement because there were so many other things going on in our home life. There really wasn't much attention being paid to me. And because I was the good kid, nobody really needed to be watching me per se. And so this addiction to achievement served me well Um, depending upon your perspective. You know, my parents always said, if you make good grades, you'll get scholarships, you'll go to college, you'll get a good job. All of those things happened. And I was also very cautious about getting pregnant because my sister was very much like me. But when she got to high school, she got into guys, she ended up pregnant and she didn't go as far as she had the potential to go in that season. So I was very cautious about that. However, what I wasn't cautious about was the challenges that might come with a relationship, even if you aren't getting pregnant, if you will. And so I I fell in love in my, the summer before my 
the summer before my senior year, we started dating and things were going well until they weren't. I always say all of the Lifetime TV I watched never helped me out <laughs> because there were so many things. There were so many red flags that I dismissed early on. And ultimately, you know, I got into this relationship and what I found was for as much as we loved each other, he wanted us to be in a world where it was us, period. And because of the journey that I was on, because of, you know, me going to college and then graduating and getting good jobs, you know, I had a life, I was social. And so there was always this challenge to balance what was going on outside my life and also keep him happy. And what worked against me, even as the red flag started to pop up, was that addiction to achievement. Because my parents had always told me, if you work hard enough, you can accomplish anything. And so there was something within me that felt like I could make this relationship work, no matter how hard it got, no matter how challenging it got, I was committed to achieving success in this relationship. This was in the midst of mentally and emotionally and at, you know, certain times, physically abusive behavior. But I loved him. And then, you know, several years in, I ended up pregnant. We had a child. And so now I'm trying to make it work for my child because I want to be successful in my family. I want my child to grow up with both parents. And so I found myself in you know, backed into a corner where I had to choose whether I was going to continue to live with this facade because to the outside world, we looked great. Everything was fine. We were raising this child now. You know, I was successful. I had these scholarships. I was in graduate school. I had a good job. But on the inside, I was literally suffocating. I was not able to be the person that God created me to be because through this process, I became the good child in my family. So everybody was prescribing to me what that looked like. And then I became his girlfriend. So I was being prescribed by him who I should be. And then we had a child. And so I was being prescribed to be a good mom. But in the midst of that, I was never Tiffany. There was no, never an identity of Tiffany. And internally, I was just suffocating severely. And so through a lot of tumultuous behaviors between the two of us, breakups and getting back together, I remember when my, when my older son turned, had his first Christmas, and things had gotten so bad that when his dad left one day, I had movers come. I remember literally having them move the Christmas tree with all of the decorations on it because I was leaving in such a rush. I didn't want him to come home suddenly and confront me and it be become this big ordeal. And so I literally ran from him. Um, and that was not the first time that I did that because I went back more than once. But ultimately, after we had our second child, I was just tired. I was tired of pretending. I was tired of holding my breath. I was tired of waiting for him to change. And I decided that I was going to have to take a stand once and for all. And when I did, he did not like it at all. He did not respond well. And so for an entire summer, I like hid and ran. I stayed at a friend's house for a whole month with my children living out of grocery store bags with our clothes and 
you know, being stalked by him via cell phone. And one day I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is not the life that I want to live. I'm going home. I am paying rent at this place. Like I deserve to be at home. My children deserve to be at home with their toys and comfortable. So I went home and um, about a week after I went home, the this ordeal happened that will change my life forever. Now, I should say about two months before the ordeal, he came to my house one night. I would not let him in and he climbed in the window in my kitchen and he didn't harm me. He actually just wanted to talk. However, um, I knew that I had to get that window fixed. My landlord was horrible though. So I put like a stick in it so that he, no one could open it because it wouldn't lock. So, you know, fast forward, after I finally went home one night, I had my two children and I had my niece and my nephew. And it was a summer night. It was super hot. I remember the air conditioner being on and me hearing this noise. It was muffled, though, because the air conditioner was in the window. And I assumed that one of the children had fallen out of the bed. So I opened my bedroom door and from my bedroom, I could see straight into my children's room and everything was intact. And then I heard footsteps like coming from my kitchen, which is where the back door was. And I already knew it was him. Like I didn't have to call out his name. I wasn't startled that someone, I knew it was him. And once I gathered my senses, I looked down the steps and he was coming up the steps with a gun pointed at me. And in an instant, my life just changed. So he like shoved me back into the bedroom and he's making me sit on the bed and I'm pleading with him. I'm telling him like, our children are here. You know, my niece and nephew are here. Like, let's not do this. And I can tell you, Shantae, that I knew that I could give in at any moment and I could say to him, you know what? I'm sorry. Let's just lay down. Let's talk about it tomorrow. Everything will be fine. But I was at my wits and I was tired of being the victim. I was tired of being victimized. I was tired of feeling like I had to do it his way or else. I was just tired. And I just felt like I needed to stand up for myself, even if that meant I had to do it facing a gun. And so ultimately, you know, he was, <laughs> he was belligerent. He was on this rant. He was like, smacking me and yelling and screaming and saying all these things. And the entire time though, he had that gun, like right, the barrel of the gun was right between my eyes, like above the ridge of my nose. And at one point I got very, very nervous. And I said to him, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to have an accident. He's like, okay, he's going to let me go to the bathroom. But in the midst of that, I literally saw my life flash before my eyes. Like, you know, when people say they're like, it's not made up. It's not only in the movies. I could see images of like myself at my high school graduation with my mom. I could see an image of me breastfeeding my first son in the hospital. I could see images of he and I when we were very happy together. It's just like all of these memories. And I was just praying like, Lord, please, because if he kills me, who's going to take care of my babies? They won't have me. They won't have their father. And I'm just praying. So I get up. He's letting me go to the bathroom. And as we were proceeding toward the, the door, he like got angry all over again. And he shoved me against this wall. And when I looked in his eyes, I was like, he is drunk or high. Like if I don't do something, he is going to kill me. And so I grabbed the gun 
from the barrel because again, it was still being pointed at me. And we kind of got into a tug of war with the gun. And somehow I managed to get the gun off him. And then I had my lifetime movie moment where I just stood there like a dummy holding the gun thinking, what do I do now? You know, and, 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 and it only took me a second to realize that if I turned that gun around and shot him, he would have been dead. I'm a tall woman. I'm about five, nine, but he had to have been about six, three or six, four. So I was like about at chest level with him. If I had shot him, he would have been dead. So while I'm the three seconds that it takes for me to process all of this, he realizes now that I had the gun and he snatches it back. And when he does, he pulls it from the trigger. There's no safety on the gun and the gun goes off. And time kind of stood still. Like there was this big spark of light. Time kind of stood still. And then when time came back, I was on the floor and my leg was just shaking and flopping uncontrollably. Think um, a fish out of water, like on the the beach side. And it's just like flapping and flapping and trying to figure out that's what my leg was doing. And so I was hysterical because I'm like, Jesus, they're going to have to cut my leg off. Like it's not going to work anymore. I, I'm just in shock. He's in shock and he's screaming and yelling. And so that was the beginning of just so many major turning points in my life. So that was as, as abbreviated as I can condense it. Wow. What an experience to experience one, but to survive through. How did you even get from that place where, oh my God, I've just been shot to surviving long enough to be where you are today. What was the, the, the catalyst? What did you tell yourself? How did you shift your mind to even move forward from that oh, moment? I'll be honest with you. It took a while. So obviously, you know, I ended up in the hospital. He was not apprehended for about a month. So like I was in the hospital with an alias name and I had to undergo several surgeries. I now have a metal rod in my leg, but praise God, I can walk, I can run, I can do just about everything I've been able to do. And then after I was released from the hospital, I was on a walker and I was like initially staying with family members. But like I said, he and I had been together since high school. So there was nowhere that I could go that he didn't know. There was no family member. He didn't know where they lived. There was no friend. And I just didn't feel safe. I was having a lot of PTSD, almost to the extent of schizophrenia. I was just really nervous that he would come back. And um, so I ended up in a, in an emergency domestic violence shelter. And it wasn't until I got there and I would wake up in the morning and realize that I couldn't just get up. Like I had to reach for the wheelchair and I had to get my crutches. And then I had to struggle with my baby who was crawling and couldn't walk and I couldn't walk. And it was then when I would wake up in that shelter and just have to immediately, you know, think about my situation and my limitations 
that I started to be reminded of, you know, God's truth for my life and that this was not how my story was supposed to end. I, at the time, had no idea what God was doing, but I knew that that wasn't the end. And there was a scripture that I embraced for so long that I don't even remember learning. And that was Jeremiah 1.5. Before he formed me in my womb, he knew me, right? And so there was so much more to life for me. And I also knew that I had these two little boys depending on me. And so I had to literally learn to get back up for them. That is is such such an amount or weight um, that you had to carry. And I know God says to us that he would never give us more than we can bear. So if he's given us something to endure, that means we can endure through it and not just stop in it. So I thank God that you were able to come through to the other side. But I know one of the human questions or human reactions that we have when we face trauma, we sometimes we find ourselves in a position where we are questioning God, like, hey, <laughs> what's up? Why me? Why do I need to deal with this? How did you, how were you able to strengthen your relationship with God instead of lose your relationship with God during that time? You know what? Honestly, I didn't really have the time to question why. I didn't. I I was so focused on, again, the achiever in me. I was so focused on getting back up and getting back to life. What was harder for me, honestly, was reconciling the fact that I could not hate him. Like, this was my first love. This was the person that I came into adulthood with. This is the father of my children. I was, I hated what he did, but I tried very hard to hate him and I could not do that. And so I really didn't have time to ask why I was more or less saying, what next? What do I need to do? What can I do? How do I recover from this? Right. And also, you know, in the community and even in my family, I was like the achiever. I was the one everybody was watching. And I remember um, someone saying to me, wow, like you used to make the paper and everything. Like what happened to you? Like you basically you just fell off. And I was just like, OK, God, like, you know, this is on you. So like, what's up? What are we doing here? But I really didn't. I, I honestly can't say that I've had. I had at that time much time to say, why God? It was just like, how am I going to get back up? How am I going to get my life together so that I can live out the life that I knew you had for me and so that I can care for my babies? That was that was ultimately where my focus was. Wow. Wow. And earlier in your story, I heard you say, you know, during your life up until this point, you spent so much time being what other people made you out to be. So the achiever, you know, the the mother, the girlfriend, the the the, the daughter, the perfect one. You said that you didn't know who Tiffany was. I did not. You didn't have your own identity. So now that you have face this, you're saying to God, okay, what we doing next? Like, how do I get back from this? How do you then discover who you are, who God has called you to be? So 
after I got out of the shelter and like got some stable living for my children and I, I started looking for a job and I could not get a job. And I would get go on interviews and I would prepare myself to like hop limp from the car without my crutches because I didn't want anybody to have pity on me and feel sorry for me. And I would get these interviews, but no one was calling me back. And I felt like people saw me on the news or people had some stigma associated with me. And I just couldn't get out of this rut. And so I decided, my father and I actually decided that I needed a change. So I packed up my minivan and my two sons and we moved to North Carolina where I had some family because I needed a fresh start. And when I got to North Carolina, there was no one. I mean, I had my uncle and I had two cousins, but they had their own lives, right? So I spent all of my time learning the city and learning myself. I'd spent all of that time deciding who it was that I wanted to become, really growing my intimacy with God. Because, you know, in this season, once this happened, all I had was God. I couldn't even walk on my own, you know? So when I got to North Carolina, of course, I could walk by then, but it was a season for me of really investing in my relationship with God, understanding my faith for myself and just digging in full force into who he was saying that I was and what that looked like and rebuilding my life accordingly. So it really was like, you know, a sojourn that I had to go on and I was there for two years and it was not easy. It was hard work, but it was so important. And I definitely would not be who I am now had I not had that time. Mm. I learned to set boundaries and be okay with them. I learned to be okay with being different and not desiring the same things that everybody expected me to desire. I learned to be okay with not functioning in dysfunction, even though that is so often the norm. You know, I established new standards according to, again, what I was learning about myself and what I was learning about God. So, yeah, it was a very transformative time for me. Wow. Wow. So during the, the, this time with God and, and moving to this fresh new place, you finally get to a point where you've bounced back or maybe bounced even further than you were before. so what do you think if you could name the top thing or the top three things that helped you get from where you were then that season of growing closer to God and then where you are now the woman of purpose that's before me what would you say that was or I would definitely say that it was my faith and and when I say my faith I would like to say my faith in action and me really prioritizing my relationship with God, me prioritizing, really me prioritizing getting well. And that was a holistic um, approach to getting well. Like at the time, because of the time that had, you know, I spent unemployed and everything that came from you know the my life in that season, my credit had taken a horrible fall. Um I had actually filed bankruptcy in the midst of all of this. So it was like, I, I had the opportunity to get my credit together. I had the opportunity to get healthy. I had gained an excessive amount of weight. So I got physically healthy. I was developing 
stronger relationships with like-minded women and also being a much more intentional mom. Mind you, my children were very young when all of this was going on. Like I said, my younger son couldn't even walk. I literally learned to walk with my younger son. So it was just a season of really me being intentional and focused about getting well, prioritizing my relationship with God. And the third thing I would, I would say that it was the relationships, the community that I had. Like I said, I was away from family. I didn't really know anybody, but I got connected to a great church home and I was surrounded by some really great people. Yes. So I like that you prioritized your time with God. You made sure that you were well in all senses of the way, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially. And then you had the community around you. So through that, you have been able to do things like write a book and start a podcast. How did you feel when God said to you, all right, now this is a time for you to go forth and help other women? How was that feeling for you? What what did you do? You know, I literally remember living in North Carolina. One day I got in the shower and God said to me, it's time for you to go home. I have work for you to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And I came home and uh, it was almost like I relapsed because I went back to doing a bunch of things that I was doing when I was in that environment. And so it took some time for me to get back to where I was with God in my homeland, if you will. Um, But then in 2014, God made it expressly clear that he wanted me to leave my job. And at that point, I had started doing some things. I was blogging. I was hosting some workshops. But, you know, you may be able to relate to this. It's one thing when we think we've decided to do something. And it's something completely different when God says, this is what you need to do. And so I was very heavy burdened by that. Like I felt this immense amount of pressure. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to live up to the expectations of God. And I just, I really ran from him for an extended period of time. And then, you know, again, getting back to that space of that level of intimacy and being willing to stop running so that God could catch me. And when he did, It was just like, once I surrendered completely, it was just like, everything else is almost history. So it was really about, you know, me catching up to myself. Always tell people there's a process that we go through that we have to unbecome in order to become. Mm. And it's not a pretty process. It's not, it doesn't always feel good, but once you surrender to it, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I can even remember being in the shelter and saying to the women there, I'm going to write a book about this experience because I can't believe that this is like real life. Yeah. And 
they had given me this yellow legal pad and I let all the ladies pick their aliases. And when things would happen, they would say, Tiffany, did you get that? Write that down. And I carried that legal pad for years. But if I'm honest, when I said that in the shelter, I didn't really mean it. I was just talking, right? It was something for us to look forward to because we were in such a horrible space, right? And I never, I knew that I was going to write books, but I didn't necessarily think that was the book. And I actually didn't want that to be the book because I didn't want to become the poster child for domestic violence. I didn't want to be defined by that. And God made it very clear to me that if I didn't write that book, there would be no other books. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how, again, another act of surrender and act of obedience is really how I've been able to get from where I was to this piece of the journey now. I, I, I love that because the, the constant surrender to God is, is what gets us through. But you also said something that was really mind-blowing to me. You said that we have to unbecome in order to become. And why that really struck a chord with me is because as we go through life, as we get comfortable in a maybe a position, a place that God has us in, we no longer want to move. We no want to no longer want to elevate to the next level or to see what he has next for us. We tend to then start growing our own ideas, right? We tend to mm -hmm. then start saying, okay, God, this has been growing great. So I can see where I am 10 years down the road. And we think we're taking the road to the left when God is saying, no, 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 that was just for a time and place. Now it's time for more. Now it's time to grow. So everything that you thought you were during this year is not going to be who you are next year. But if you continue to lean on God and su surrender completely, we grow and grow and grow and we begin to be the full manifestation of what God has for us, of the glory that he's put on our lives with a purpose and, and make the impact with the people that we, we are supposed to impact. And I mean, yes. I look at you now and you're helping women rebuild their lives and you're hosting the bounce back blueprint and you're also coaching Tell us more about the Bounce Back Blueprint podcast. Tell us how, how that came about and what topics you guys discuss on the podcast. Absolutely. But I, I do want to say in this process of unbecoming, sometimes the biggest challenge is that what we are doing is good, right? Mm -hmm. When God called me to leave my job in 2014, I had just gotten a promotion that I did not apply for. And I had like the best type of job. I don't know if you've ever watched The Office, but you know how Michael was on The Office, like they needed him, but he didn't really do anything. Like nobody really knew what purpose Mark Michael served. I had this job where obviously I was necessary. I did a lot of putting out fires, but nobody really knew what I did. So it was like the best job. I just got a raise and now God's like, okay, no, that's not it. And so I just want to encourage anybody who feels like they're in this season that they have to let go a good thing to get to a God thing. Sometimes it requires you to climb down from the top of the wrong ladder and start at the bottom of the right ladder. And it's not easy. It's not pretty. People will question you and you will see that people who told you or who have professed to have faith, they don't have faith when they really need to, but you 
may just be called to be the example for them. So you do it anyway, even though it doesn't make sense to anybody else. Okay, so <laughs> to answer your question, the Bounce Back Blueprint podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, on the podcast, I, like you, um, bring on guests, but I also do episodes. And ultimately, it's really about helping women understand the three cornerstones of the Bounce Back Blueprint. And the first one is clarity, like really getting clear about who God says you are and who he has called you to be what he has called you to do and have. And I take that approach from this framework of being famous at home first, being famous with God first, right? Being famous in your body with your health and honoring your body as a temple, and then being famous in your home front with your family, whatever that looks like for you. And then the second cornerstone is courage. And that is having the courage to get back up and live out your life so that you have the voice of the victor and the posture of power, meaning you can live out your life and live out your testimony, whether you are writing a book, starting a business, or doing work to serve the people that you know you can serve because of what you've grown through, that takes courage because people, like I said, will question or judge you, but you need to do it anyway. And then the final cornerstone is commitment. And that is all about serving with integrity and excellence, right? That means that even when it doesn't feel good, even when the money's not coming in the way you thought it should, even when you're not getting the applause or the likes or the comments that you are committed to doing what God has called you to and serving who God has called you to serve. And the reason why I do this is because I want people to know that you don't have to look like what you've grown through, but God can use it all. Mm-hmm. He can use it all. So I really am called to help women understand that our stories are powerful. I mean, the Bible, which has gotten us connected to God, has stories from people that are thousands of years old, and it continues to be the best selling book every single year. So those people may have thought that those stories were not as, as powerful or they didn't make you know, they weren't a big deal, but they are still transforming our lives today. Mm -hmm. And your story is no different. God is not a respecter of persons, right? So he doesn't waste anything. Whether, again, whether you're writing it in a book, whether you're speaking from a stage or whether you go to work and serve in a capacity that was born out of whatever you've grown through, whatever God has done for you so that he gets the glory, that is what I'm called to help you do, to see the power in your experiences and your stories and use it to make an impact. And if God sees fit for you to make an income as well. Yes, I love that. I absolutely love that. And tell us where we can listen to your podcast. So you can listen to the podcast anywhere podcasts are in the world. Apple, Spotify, Google Play. I'm actually hosted on Podbean, but it's on YouTube. Also, it's on Pandora now. (laughs) Anywhere you listen to a podcast, it's there. Yes. So you guys... I just, I'm still sitting here and I think I'm still in awe at Tiffany and her story. And you have dropped so many good pieces of advice. I've been sitting here and I know you can't see what I'm doing. So you're probably just seeing my head down. I'm just like, yes, that's good. Writing that down. That's good. Writing that down. But I really want to thank you for coming on this week and just 
giving us a look into your journey and a look into what God can do in our lives, no matter what points we feel like we've reached, even when we feel like, you know what, Lord, there's nowhere else for me to, to, to go from here. Why don't I just lay down and that be the end of it? But you fought your way back out. You bounced back and you've bounced further than you were before. So Tiffany, thank you for coming on this week's episode of the podcast. Before I go, I want you to tell us where we can follow you on social media and how people, how our listeners can work with you. I first, I just want to say thank you again for allowing me to share your platform with you. I know that you do not take it lightly who you invite to be here and share with your audience. So I want to say thank you. And I want to commend you for being consistent and obedient with doing this work that God has called you to as well. And I am at the Tiffany Huff on all social media platforms. So I'm pretty active on Instagram, Facebook, and now Clubhouse, if you are there. And um, if anyone is interested in coaching or working with me, you can uh, schedule a free breakthrough session by going to bit.ly slash your bounce back guide. And that's also in my Instagram bio and everywhere else. So I would love to connect with you. I would love to hear your feedback. Even you can hop in my DMs and, you know, let's, let's do the things in 2021. Let's work together to get done what God will have us get done in 2021. Yes. So to everyone, you've heard all her information. Of course, as you know, I am going to pop it in the show notes so that you can follow Tiffany, that you can connect with her, so that you can listen to her podcast, follow her on Clubhouse, all the things, because in this year, in 2021, we are going to follow God like never before. We are going to be stronger. We are going to be better. And this is just the start. So again, Tiffany, thank you for being here. And Purpose Chasers, I'll see you next week week with another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slate podcast. All right, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slate podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Be sure to like and subscribe and also be sure to leave a comment, leave a review. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you liked from this episode, what you like from the show. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Pray Plan Slate Podcast, or you can follow me, your host, Shantae Sapphire, at Shantae Sapphire on Instagram. And the podcast is also on Facebook at PrayPlanSlay.com. We're on Twitter at Shantae Sapphire. All that information will be below in the show notes. Thanks again for joining us.